Good morning, church. Uh, there we're on. Good morning, church. There we go. Good blah. Let's turn to Romans chapter 16 this morning for our scripture reading. We'll be reading Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Romans 16, verses 1 through 16. The apostle writes, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, which bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them, which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Thank the Lord for his word. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in the book of Romans chapter 16. I plan on, Lord willing, covering the book of Romans chapter 16 in three weeks. And so today, and then we have two more Sundays that will be in Romans chapter 16, and then that will complete our time through the walk in the book of Romans. I feel like we'll be saying goodbye to a friend. Uh, for the last three years, we've been in the book of Romans. You're here visiting with us. You think, my goodness, why in the world did we just have a scripture reading of a bunch of names? Guess what? We're going to spend the rest of our time together talking about a bunch of names, uh, so it'll be all right. I, I believe very strongly that it is my responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God, and so it's not a, a luxury to just jump around and go, okay, here, I like this part and I like that part, but I don't like this one, so uh, this is a part of the whole counsel of God, and my goal for today is for us to spend some time looking through this. I think it's important for us to see uh, we've read just now a list of 26 different names, and I think it's important for us to see there's something going on as we see this list of names. Paul isn't just throwing names out there. Chapter 15 and chapter 16 are intensely personal for him. He's very personal. As he writes this portion, you can think back to chapter 3 and chapter 4 as he's giving the ideas of faith, and he's talking about uh, by grace are you saved. These are these are concepts that impact your life, but then he isn't throughout chapters 1 to 14 and 15 and a half, he's not really kind of diving into his own personal story. 
But then he comes into chapter 15 and he just kind of finishes off with the gospel and he gets very personal and starts talking about, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And we talked about that, spent a couple of weeks on his, his trip to Jerusalem and what's he going to accomplish by going there. You might remember how important unity is among the brethren. So important that he would go 6,000 kilometers out of the way just to personally be the one who hands the love offering from Macedonia to the believers in Jerusalem he could have given that money to Timothy to do. But he himself wants to make sure that there's unity among the brethren, and so he goes out of his way to do that. Remember, he's writing this epistle to the church at Rome. He's writing it from Corinth, or more closely, Sincrea, which is in verse number 1. Look at verse number 1 with me. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea. Sincrea is a port city that's just to the eastern side of Corinth. Now, if you don't remember your geography, Corinth is in, is in southern Greece, little isthmus. Ships come from the east. They would unload their cargo at Corinth, carry the cargo across the town, reload ships on the other side, and go to Rome. This is your last stop before Rome, if you want to say it that way. Paul's never been to Rome. He said that earlier in chapter 1. He said, I've never been there to see you. In chapter 15, he said, I've wanted to come and see you, but I've not been able to come. I've been busy preaching the gospel in Jerusalem to Illyricum. We saw that back in chapter 15. And now he gives a list of people that he wants to greet at the church in Rome. So in other words, he knows people that are there, but he's not been there. He's crossed paths with these people. He has intensely personal relationships with these 26 people. And I'll even say this, he names 26 directly, but then there's an additional, I'll say at least 15 people that he talks about indirectly. I'll just glance at one. Look down at verse number 13. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, right? That's another person that he refers to indirectly, but he doesn't call the lady's name. So I say 26 names and 15 indirect. He knows these people, but he's never been there. That means that he's crossed paths with them in other places and some with them. We'll talk about them in just a minute. Some in Ephesus, some in Corinth. He's been with these people in other places. And now he's writing this letter to them and he's more than just listing a group of people. And this is what I want you to morning. There is an importance in having godly friendships. As I look down through this, there is a love from Paul towards these people, and I hope that you'll get to see it. Let me take a few minutes. I'll say the 40% of the sermon will be an introduction of who these people are, and then we'll look at some nitty-gritty pieces of the importance of having godly friendships. So let's look down through the list. 26 different friends that to verse number one. Commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is, in the, is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. That you receive in the Lord as become a saints, and that you assist her in whatever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. So we see Phoebe first. Uh, Phoebe is here at the beginning of the list, and he says, I commend to, her, to you, Phoebe. Now, that tells me something different than the rest of them. This sets, sets Phoebe apart. Easy way to see this 
Look and see, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe. In other words, Phoebe is with Paul. Phoebe will go to Rome. Phoebe has not been there yet. But then you can see down into verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 6, greet Mary. Verse 7, salute Adronicus. You see, all the rest, 25 other names, it's all, I send my greetings to them. Phoebe, I commend to you Phoebe. In other words, Phoebe is going to them. They don't know Phoebe. He wants to make sure that when she comes, that she's received. You notice these words in verse 2, receive her in the Lord as become a saints. As brothers and sisters in Christ, here is a sister who is coming to your church body. You don't know her, but she's been a blessing somewhere else. And so receive her as brothers and sisters. You don't even know her yet, but receive her. Now let me do some math here. Paul just said in Romans 15 that he is headed to Jerusalem, and yet he's writing a letter to Rome. Now let's add to that piece, let's add to that this next element, that Phoebe is coming to Rome. Here's my math question. How'd the letter get to Rome? I submit to you that Phoebe carried it. It just makes sense. Here's Phoebe. He writes, I commend to you, Phoebe. How else? There's no postal service at that time. You don't go down and sell him money quick and pay your water bill while you're there. That's not, what, that's not what's going on in that day. That letter has to be hand-carried, and it's being hand-carried by Phoebe. Can I just take a pause? This is not the point of the message, but I think it's worth us pointing out. The Apostle Paul entrusted what is perhaps the greatest letter that's ever been written, the greatest exposition of the gospel, he trusted that to the hand of a woman. That's worth taking note of, brothers and sisters. In that day, in that day, a woman was not permitted to bear witness in court. If she saw something, she, her testimony was worthless. And made it I saw. Boy, I think some of this stuff can come across into our culture. The, the typical Jewish man at that time prayed a prayer, and some of them continue to pray that prayer to this day. They wake up in the morning, and their prayer is a prayer of gratitude. Thank you, God, that I was not born a dog, a Gentile, or a woman. What a way to think. And here, the Apostle Paul goes, Phoebe's on her way to you. She has been a helper to many people. And, by the way, I'm putting in her hand the 16 chapters that are going to establish church doctrine for the next 2,000 years. Aren't you glad that God can use Phoebe? I commend to you. Oh, and so here, let me just make that practical. Brothers and sisters, the gospel always elevates the position of ladies. And ladies, you have no reason to ever feel like you would be second class within the house of God. You are co-equals with brothers in Christ. God has saved your soul just like he saved the souls of men. And so we have nothing to be ashamed of. Second one, Phoebe is first. The second one is in verse number three. And I see two of them. They're together. Maybe you know their names. This is verses three and five, three to five. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who not have who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. 
Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So I say there's 15 indirect when I see this one, the church that's in their house. I'm just throwing five on there in case there's five people. Maybe there's more. It says, greet the people that are in the house and the church that are there at the house of Priscilla and Aquila. And I note that he says, they laid down their necks for him. We don't have a recording of that. We don't know what happened there, but I have a feeling that Aquila and Priscilla would have known all about it. Paul remembered it. These people, when we say they laid down their necks, that's a phrase that means they gave their lives to spare the life of Paul. We don't know what that looked like. And yet they gave of themselves. Then the verse number five, the remaining portion of verse number five, salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is of the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So he remembers this man named Eponidas. He says, I remember that guy because when I went into Achaia, southern Greece, I went into Achaia, there was a guy that got saved, the very first one that got saved there. I remember that guy, and now he's living in Rome. And as I look back on my own personal ministry, having started churches in different places, I could list down, at this place, that was the first guy to get saved. And at this place, this was the first guy to get saved. And at this place, this is the first guy to and, and that's special for Paul. He says, so greet him. Tell Eponidas that I said hi. Verse number seven now. We have two more. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Adronicus and Junia. Junia is a lady's name, so we're assuming that Adronicus would be the husband, Junia would be the wife. We can see a number of things here about them. Kinsmen. The, 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 the word kinsman literally is a cousin, so it's very possible he's related to them. It says they're fellow prisoners. We don't know anything else about what did that look like. In fact, Paul's going to be headed to prison after this. So after he writes this, the majority of his prison time is after he writes this, this letter. And so we're not really sure what, does he, what is he talking about. Maybe were they in the same cell and it's a situation that we don't know about. Something like Philippi where he spent overnight. Maybe that was what he's talking about. Dronicus and Junia, they were fellow prisoners with me. They're my kinsmen. And notice also, they are of note among the apostles. Peter knows who these people are. Tell them I said hi. Salute them. Greet them. And they were, this little phrase that he tosses to them. He doesn't do this for very many people, by the way. The last phrase in verse 7. They were in Christ before me. They got saved before me. That's what he just said. He doesn't say that about very many people. There's a lot of people that he tells them, I was in Christ before you were. But this is one of the rare ones where he says, they got saved before I did. That meant a lot to Paul. And verse number 8 down to verse 10, he's going to greet four slaves. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. We know nothing else about these four guys other than what's written here. And those are names, by the way, those are names that were typical in that day of slaves. And so that's why I say, I think that these are slaves. And, and these are four men who he mentions them as being beloved and being a helper. But can I just drill down on one for just a second? Salute Apelles. In verse 10, salute Apelles. And the next word is approved. So when I study that out and I go, okay, what does he mean by he's approved? The, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans only used the word approved twice. 
once is here and the other time is in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 18. And if you remember the context of Romans 14, it was, I'm going to give up my rights so that I can create a unity and a bond within the brotherhood. I have no idea what Apelles gave up, but he's been approved. And in Romans 14, verse 18, he said, the one who gives up his own rights is going to be approved of the Lord. And here is Apelles. And I think this might be just an example, and perhaps all the people in the church knew what he was talking about. Time has gone by. We don't know now. And then verse number 10, the latter part of verse number 10, and then in verse 11, we see some people that are of royalty. Salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Aristobulus is known in history. Uh, he's not mentioned other places in Scripture, but historically we know him as the grandson of Herod the Great. You remember Herod? Chase the Innocents. And then his son, Herod Agrippa. And then here we have this fellow Aristobulus. It's known from history that Aristobulus himself was dead by the time that Paul writes this letter. However, notice that the greeting is not to Aristobulus, but to the people who are of Aristobulus's house. It could be maybe his wife, it could be his children, perhaps it could be the slaves that are from his house, but whatever is happening, these people are somehow related to royalty. I love the fact that the church is made up of a wide demographic. You have people who are of, of means in royalty and those who are of poverty, the slaves. We have a wide variety in the, in, in the church. Verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsman. The name Herodian literally means related to Herod. So there's a guy in the church who's been saved and is somehow related to Paul and is also related to King Herod. This is royalty. And then he continues on in verse 11, greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. And again, historians tell us Narcissus is the secretary to the emperor Claudius. And so here he says, says there's a household of Narcissus. We don't know that Narcissus himself was saved, but we do know that there were people in his house that were saved. So you've got not just one royal household, but we have two royal households. Narcissus's house, and then you've also got the household of Aristobulus, this royalty that's in the, in the church. Paul knows them. Tell them I said hi. Greet them. Salute them. Then in verse number 12, we have the ladies. There's three ladies in verse number 12. Salute Trephina and Tryphosa who labor in the Lord. It's thought that perhaps these two are twins. And here's why. Because their names sound so similar. And in that day, many times people would name, if they had twins, they would name the twins with similar sounding names. Not Jethro and Lawrence. Sounds so similar, right? But more like Mavis and Maylene. You girls here? I didn't see you before the service. But they would name it. Tryphosa and Tryphema. And they, those two names mean delicate and dainty. Now you can just get this, this image. And notice what they're doing in the church. Verse 12, they labor in the Lord. So here are these two ladies. Paul knows them. And, they, and I'm, I'm going to submit that perhaps they're younger. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Perhaps they're younger. I can just imagine these two younger ladies, twin sisters, serving the church at Rome. Paul knows them. From where, we don't know. But he knows them. And he says, salute them. Tell them I said hi. They're laboring. They're serving the church body. And then the latter part of verse 12 is another lady. And, and I think that she's older. And here's why. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. And so I see, you, you can get this image 
Persis was the older lady who used to labor much, and now her, her, her work is being taken care of by Tryphena and Tryphosis. And you can see this younger ladies are taken into this space. Then in verse 13, very interesting name in verse number 13. Uh, verse 13 says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Rufus, oh my goodness, Rufus definitely shows up in Scripture in another place in the book of Mark chapter 15. And you might remember, here's the story that was going on at that time. Christ was carrying the cross on the road to Calvary. And as he went along the road, he stumbled and fell. And there was a guy that came along and carried the cross. His name was not Rufus. His name was Simon. And if you've ever read the story, you might wonder, why did it say what it said? And it said there came one, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. I think that Simon of Cyrene set some good things in place for his boys. And by the time Paul writes this, he says, hey, tell Rufus. I said, hi. We don't know. Where did, how did Rufus end up in Rome? We don't know. But Rufus has now been a blessing to Paul, and it's even on a greater level than just Rufus blessed Paul. Look at what else it says in verse number 13. Salute, salute Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. I don't think Paul's saying, I'm Rufus's brother. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying... Salute Rufus and salute his mom because she has been like a mom to me. Do you see a thread of love coming through this? I've never been to your church, but I know 26 of you. <laughs> That's a pretty good number of people that he knows in this church. And he wants to be there with them. And he's sending these greetings. Now verse 14 and 15, this is more slaves. There's 10 of them. Salute Asyncritus and Phlegm and Hermas, and Petrobus, and Hermes, and the brother, brethren which are with them. There's five and then some brethren. And then in verse 15, salute, salute Philologus, and Julius, and Narius, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints that are with them. There's another five, and then those saints that are with them. So you get ten slaves named. So 26 friends living in a place where he has never been. It's unnamed ones. He loves them all and he cares about all of them. And it brings me to this. You'll take this today and make it a part of your mindset for the week. Having godly friends is very important for your Christian walk. Amen. Having godly friends is very important for your Christian walk. Amen. The book of Proverbs in chapter 13 and verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools will be destroyed. I've heard it said like this, show me your five best friends and I'll show you your future. You think about that. Show me your five best friends. Who are the, and, and I think it's worth taking a moment and reflect within yourself. What do my five best friends look like? Take your five best friends. That's going to reflect what your future looks like. Here in the book of Proverbs, if you walk with wise men, you'll be wise. But if you're a companion of fools, you will be destroyed. The book of Ecclesiastes speaks to this as well. In chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one. I said it a different way. No man's an island. You don't get to just try to go through life on your own and, oh, I'll figure this out as I go. 
Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one shall lift up his fellow. Woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Godly friends are very important for your Christian walk. Now just be honest and transparent before we go into our points. Some of you may be wondering, why is it that you're struggling to walk in the Spirit? Why is it that you're struggling to have a good Christian life? I think I can put my finger directly on it and say, have a look at what kind of friends you spend your time with. The Apostle Paul spent time with people like Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus and Demas. And sure, some of them, like Demas, turned their back on him later in life. But my goodness, when you're walking with good, godly Christian friends, they're going to encourage you in your spiritual walk. They will be like that Ecclesiastes 9 verse. They'll lift you up. In those times when you fall, they'll lift you up. And I think of those friends that God has given me, those Christian friends that God has given me in my life, and I think of the times where I have been discouraged or I have fallen or I've just wanted to quit and they come along and whether they know about the situation or not they become an encouragement for me to get up and move on and so let's take a couple of minutes and I just want to look at this passage you know my style that if something gets repeated we're going to pay attention to it and there are several things that get repeated in this passage so let me start off with this one first off the makeup of godly fellowship the makeup, and, what, and when I say makeup, I don't mean the makeup like, oh, maybe so put him makeup, la face blown, oh, no. I mean, I mean like the pieces. These are the pieces of, what, what's it take to have a godly friendship? What, what's it take? Helping. Helping. And I see that word and words like it repeated all down through this passage. Look at verse 2, speaking of Phoebe. She has been a succorer of many. It means an administrator. She has looked after the accounts of many people. I don't know what that looked like. Perhaps there were people in the church who were struggling with their finances and they came to Phoebe and said, Phoebe, can you help us straighten our life out? And she did not take advantage of them, did not try to sell them on something, but instead said, here, let me help you put your life in order. Verse 3, very open wording. My helpers, Aquila and Priscilla, my helpers in Christ. Even down into verse number 6, Mary bestowed much labor on us. That's helping. And verse number 9, Urbane, our helper. Verse 12, They labor in the Lord. That's Tryphena and Tryphosa. They labor in the Lord. You see, true friends will help you. They'll encourage you to do what is best for you. False friends will be in it for what they can leech out of you. You know what I mean by leeching, right? Come along and just suck all the life out of you. They're going to be there for as long as they can get something from you. I think of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story? Christ said there was... The young man who came to his father and said, give me of the inheritance. I can't even think and fathom how you do that because inheritance is directly tied to the death of the father. So when he says, give me the inheritance, he might as well be saying, dad, I wish you were dead. What a way to think. 
And the father, with brokenheartedness, gives him his portion. And then that young man goes into a far country with that money, and he wastes it with riotous living. And he had friends surrounding him as long as he was able to be the one who bought the cartons, be the one that took care of everybody's pokey tabs. But the moment that it all ran out, he found himself friendless. You see, false friends will be there for what they can get out of you, but a true friend will be there to help you to do what will be best for you. I also see here that true friendship creates love. Look down in verse number 5. Here's verse 5, talking of Epinetus. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus. And verse number 8, Amplius, my beloved. And Stachys, verse 9, my beloved. And verse 12, salute the beloved Persis. There's love there. You realize that when you serve others, it will create a bond of love. You say, Pastor, I don't have friends. I come to church and I just don't have any godly friends. And I just see them on Sunday and I go on about my life. Can I encourage you? A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. It's the book of Proverbs. So go out of your way to serve others in the church body. And suddenly you will find that it will create a bond of love that overflows into friendship. You say, they never invite me over to have dinner with them. Have you ever invited them to come and have dinner with you? Road, he got tupla way. No good you, hung them up on one side and await them all. When you serve others, it creates a bond of love and it increases a friendship amongst yourselves. And then in so doing, you'll be demonstrating that your discipleship of Christ is real. You remember John, uh, Jesus' words in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know disciples. You have love one for another. What's the mark of a true disciple of Christ? That they've got love. What brings out the love? The fact that I serve and I look for ways to serve you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to serve you. And this doesn't just go pastoral to sh- the flock. This goes amongst ourselves. Because friends, I've got my five friends already. I can add six, seven, and one thousand, but you need five. Go find five. And I submit to you this morning, there are plenty to choose from here. Seek out good godly friends. How do you destroy love? Well, separate yourself. Sit over and pick out things that go wrong in the church service. If you'll come to church looking for things to go wrong, I promise you things go wrong and you'll find them. Congratulations. Brother Eric picks a song that you don't like. Congratulations. You come looking for a song you don't like, you'll find a song you don't like. Somebody says amen too many times, you see that. Somebody doesn't say amen enough, you'll see that. Somebody doesn't shake your hand, you'll see that. Guess what, guys? The rest of the church isn't looking for ways to offend you. So don't look for ways to be offended. Look for ways to serve. Show love. When you show love, you will increase that bond that becomes friendship towards one another. Okay, second one. There's an outward demonstration that he points out here. An outward demonstration of godly friendship. An outward demonstration. Now, you've probably picked, on, picked up on the fact that there is a word repeated all through this. It's the word salute. Did you see it? Salute. If you didn't see it, I think the easiest one to see is probably verse 9 down to verse 
16, every verse starts with the word salute. That word is repeated, salute and greet. By the way, in Greek, they're the same word. Salute and greet. And, and greet. And so you're saluting or you're greeting. That word shows up 18 times in these 16 verses. So that's the, the number one thing that's repeated all through these verses. And he says, salute one another or greet one another. And he doesn't mean, when he says salute, he doesn't mean put your hand up to your eyebrow. That's not what he's talking about. Salute. Okay, so what is the, what's another meaning? And I think that probably the, this might help. The, the Greek word for salute or greet, it shows up in the New Testament 60 times. And we think, okay, what does he mean when I say salute them? What's he mean? Okay, I'm, I'm showing love towards them, but what's that, what's that look like? Twice it's translated as embrace. That one, one of those, it shows up in the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 20. The apostle Paul gathers with the elders of the church of Ephesus, and he tells them in that setting, this is the last time I'm ever going to see your face, and says that he embraced them. It's the very same word that we see here repeated as salute or greet. Embrace them. And now, slide your eyes down to verse number 16 and see him give us a definition of what does it look like to salute. See it, see it in verse number 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss. Salute one another. A holy kiss. At that time, that's a customary way of greeting. I know that some of you are going, wait, COVID and all of that stuff. We're not kissing each other. And you're welcome. But in that day, the customary greeting, you saw a friend, a brother. You saw your friend, and you embraced, and you kissed. Sometimes, if you really liked them, you'd, only, you'd kiss them on both cheeks. One on this side, one on that side. I do it with my girls, and I realized this, this last trip, just last two weeks ago, I was there with, with each of my girls, and I realized I do this with, they're grown, and I do this to them. There's Ariel. She's a grown woman. She's married. I gave a hug to Luke. Son, I'm glad to see you. That's my son-in-law. And then I grabbed Ariel by the head. Nobody told me to do this. She, she knew what was coming. She bowed her head, and I kissed her on the forehead. It happens every time. I was with Hannah. Same thing. Hannah, I love you, and I'm so glad to see you. And I give her a hug, and I grab her by the sides of the head. She lowers her head, and I kiss her on the forehead. Nobody ever taught us how to do that. It just happens. Why do I do it? Because I want them to see that I love them. Friend, do you realize you have this love that builds within friendships, but that love is inside and if you don't do something to let the other person know that the love is there, you come one time dry face, now look him all like him through your cupside head blew you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. You've got that love that's inside of you when you see that other person. And I think the greatest example within our body is Brother Eric. And I don't know if you other brothers get to experience this, but I experience it every day. I see Brother Eric. I see him on Monday to Friday. I see him on Sunday. I don't see him on Saturdays. Uh, that's, his, that's my gift to him. Go away and go do something else. But on Sunday to Friday, I see him every day. And on every single time, the first time I see him in the day, he embraces me. Gives me a hug. Thankfully, he doesn't give me a kiss. 
but he gives me a hug and I have this moment where I go, yes, I love you, brother. And that love that is built on a serving one another, that love that's deep within our souls, that's coming out in the embrace. And so we salute one another with a holy kiss. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say this because I'm your pastor and I need to say it. It is a holy kiss. Holy is important. And so there may be rare times, I'll say rare, special, holy times that I might embrace a sister in Christ. I don't want to make it awkward for her, but I sometimes will ask, can I give you a hug? There's just a rare, special holy moment about that. And I say that because I don't want any of our young men walking out of here saying, well, pastor said, greet them with a holy kiss. Give them a hug. Let's do it. Come on, ladies. Not happening. Me, pastor blue, you not me watch. Stop. You make him all same. Buy me, find it one black gun. <laughs> don't mess with our girls. But it will happen with, among brothers on a regular basis. And ladies, very much appropriate. Embrace one another. Greet one another. With a holy kiss, what's culturally appropriate. And perhaps just a shaking of hands, and you know there's a difference in shaking of hands, right? There's a, I'm going to shake your hand just because we greeted each other, and then there is the, I grab your hand, and here comes the second hand, and this one's coming from a heart of compassion. Do you know what I mean? Greet one another. Salute one another with a holy kiss. And you know, by the way, that there is a problem when there's no greeting. You send the wrong message. I think of Jesus when he was at the house of Simon the Pharisee, and the one lady came in with the alabaster box, and she broke the box over Jesus' feet, and she wept and wiped his feet. Do you remember that story? And Simon got, began to get angry about it. He said, hey, this, that could have been sold for a whole bunch of money. Don't you have any consideration for the poor? And, and Jesus responded. I've got this verse here for you. This is Luke chapter 7 and verse 5. Jesus to Simon said, Thou gavest me no kiss. You didn't greet me, Simon. I, didn't, I wasn't going to say anything about it. That's what's going on. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but since you're going to talk down about this lady, I'm going to bring out the fact that you didn't greet me, and I noticed... And this woman, since I came, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And so, brothers and sisters, can I just caution, a lack of kiss will be noticed. A lack of embrace, a pushing away is felt. And at the same time, a betrayal kiss, and you remember Judas's, a betrayal kiss will hurt worse than many other things. So let us be careful with our holy embrace. Thirdly and lastly, godly friendship, uh, let's see, a common foundation in fellowship, in godly friendship. I think that probably the best way to explain this is before I show it to you. A common foundation for any friendship is found in bad times. If you go through a bad experience with someone, you typically end up coming out the other side. You have a shared common experience. Light one. Several years ago, I took some of our young men. We went on a missions trip out to Anita. On the way, we picked up a, a wallaby. 
Mangani was on the side of the road. It was already cooked, turned inside out, you know, the style of 600 ways. They took that, they took that, we took that Mangani, we put it in the back of the truck, and, uh, and we got to Anita, gave the wallaby over to the pastor's wife, and I don't know what was wrong with that wallaby, but that night, as we sat and ate, we ate the meal with the family and everybody was there, we noticed that the wallaby had a bad smell. But, you know, what are you going to do? You don't want to be offensive. And so we just ate it, and some of it we kind of slid off and hid. And... But the thing was, there was no, okay, there was no forks and knives. We had to use our hands. And so we have, like, bad wallaby smell all over our fingers. And then in addition to that, there was no place to wash your hands there at Anita. And so we just kind of wiped them off. And what we didn't realize is we did not get rid of the smell. The smell stayed on our hands. And so that night, all of us that were on that trip, all of us went to sleep. And the next morning, we all talked about our shared common experience of waking up in the night with our hands next to our face and being repulsed by the smell of our own hands. It has become an ongoing joke to this day. I still joke with Phil Perry about, you've got stinky hands, man. <laughs> or a- another missions trip we did where we stopped in Borina. Bevan in here? I don't know where Bevan is. I've, I haven't seen him. I'm, I'm sure he's here somewhere. Bevan's here somewhere. That night it rained so hard. Brother Eric, you were on that trip. It rained so hard. And the, the, the pastor at the church at Barina apologized because he didn't have space for us to stay in his house, so he had us stay in the house wind. But the house wind was just leaf, and it rained so hard there was no escaping the rain, and the rain just fell so hard. We took every canvas and covered ourselves. And I remember laying on the ground with a canvas over my face and the water just coming in. And I said, Bevan, I wish I could sleep tonight, but I can't because... And Bevan came with an umbrella, and he squatted down next to me with an umbrella over my face so that I could sleep through the night. Shared common experience. Now, when I say that, look back into Romans 16, and let's see what is their shared common experience. See, Paul has a shared common experience with all of these 26 friends, and he makes mention of it. Look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Verse 9. Salute Urbane, our helper, in Christ. Verse 10. Salute Apelles, approved, in Christ. Are you seeing the theme here? Ten times. He says this. Ten times in these verses, he uses the phrase in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in the Lord. Here's what he's saying is those friends of mine, they're in Christ. And if you've spent time with us through the book of Romans, you would know how important that phrase is. I'm in Christ Jesus. And because I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm not separated away from him. I was born into sin, and you were too. We have a shared common experience. We were born into sin.
Because we were born into sin, we were born under the wrath of God. And God's wrath abideth upon us. Those should be terrifying words, friend. In my sin, God's wrath is on me. There's no escaping that. And yet, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus, who went to the cross and took my sin. And He took yours too. He took our sin and placed it upon Christ on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Here is our sin laid upon Jesus where I should have received God's wrath. Instead, Jesus received God's wrath. An infinite Father poured out His infinite wrath upon His infinite Son in the space of three hours on the cross. And the Lord Jesus paid for my sin. And then He made this promise, if you'll but trust in Him, whosoever believeth in Him will have everlasting life. Oh friend, the fact that we can come to be in Christ Jesus You know, we have a common shared experience. That was the fact that we were all under the wrath of God. And we had no hope apart from Christ. But we have a shared experience. We're in Christ. And so for those of us that have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we're in Christ Jesus. That's good news, friend. And our friendship is not based on similarities of life. Oh, we work at the same place, or our kids are the same age. We go to the same school. Or we like the same kind of sports. That's not what our friendship is based upon. Our friendship is based on the fact that we're in Christ Jesus. And godly friendships are very important for your Christian walk. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize the fact that we need good godly friends in our lives. Thank you for this example that you've given us in Romans 16 where we get to see the Apostle Paul saying very clearly, I've got 26 friends and 15 other ones as well. Those friends aren't with me right now, but I care about them deeply. Look forward to the time when I can come and embrace them personally. I pray that you would help us to evaluate who are my closest friends. What's my future going to look like? I pray that you would help us to seek out godly friends, looking for people who might be more mature in the faith than we are, ones who would have our best interest in mind, ones who would want us to do what is right for our own good and for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek out godly friendships. I pray your name would be glorified through our lives and throughout this week in us and us. In the Lord Jesus' beautiful name, I ask these things. Amen. Church, thank you so much.